Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 16 of Position Set. I'm your host, Grant Peters, the founder of Auto Racing Analytics and uh, the data and stats guy for Legacy Motor Club now as well. Joining me again this week, been a while, but we're back. Uh, we'll explain the, the delay here in a moment, but we have my co-host, Ben Amato, mechanical engineering student and Legends car driver. Ben, how you doing after what has been way too long since we've done one of these shows? I'm so sorry. I'm doing well, man. It's good to hear from you again. It's definitely been a while. Ben, what's your opinion on Gateway as a racetrack? Because I have, I've got some pretty strong ones that I want to start. Well, I'll take it back. We'll get into my strong opinions on Gateway in here in just a minute, but I just want to apologize to all the listeners first. This podcast is not released in two weeks, and let me explain to you all why. We recorded an episode prior to the 600. I was driving through the, uh, the, the mountains, and my internet was garbage. And so the recording decided to not exist. And so we don't have a show for before the 600. And then I started my job with Legacy Motor Club immediately afterwards. And uh, Ben has had a busy enough schedule himself. My schedule was horrible. And uh, I had no chance of figuring out where to slide this podcast into it. It did not line up. So we didn't get it recorded. Now we're back this week. And guess what? NASCAR's data for Gateway stops working. So guess what I don't have from Gateway? Data. I'm so sorry, guys, but gosh darn it. We're halfway back to normal this week. We should be fully back to normal next week. Anyway, get into my strong opinions on Gateway. This track is not good. Why are we racing here other than the fact that the place is sold out? Ben, go ahead. That's interesting because I actually don't really hate, I don't hate Gateway. I don't think it's a great track. Um, but I thought the race was pretty decent, to be honest. I mean, they moved around a lot more than I was expecting. Um, so they had a couple, you know, different lanes, uh, had some people running high, some people could make a little bit of progress on the bottom. I thought there was a decent amount of passing. Um, we actually had a green flag pass for the lead on something that wasn't a restart when Blaney passed Kyle Busch. So that was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty decent race i don't love the track because the on throttle time there is actually insane um which typically doesn't lend itself to great racing um but the race here was uh, to the uh, this past weekend i thought was okay well you see here's here's my thing i got a large category of tracks here to put on blast mm -hmm. phoenix raceway new hampshire gateway and I used to throw Richmond in there with it, but I've, I've gained some respect for Richmond. I'll leave Richmond out. But Nashville Super Speedway goes into this category, too. Of the just weird tracks that are like roughly a mile in length, they're flat, and I just don't find them to be very entertaining. I think they're kind of garbage. Like, either pick one, be a real short track that's a half a mile where we can beat the fenders off the cars, which, I mean, recently that kind of racing hasn't really worked for NASCAR, but we're going to get that fixed eventually. Not concerned about it. Or be a real speedway like Kansas Speedway that puts on a good show every single time. Yeah, I do kind of agree with you with this style of track that just kind of, you know, I mean, it just it typically doesn't lend itself to good racing because it like there's not really much to work with. I mean, I love New Hampshire because I'm from Massachusetts and it's the closest NASCAR track to me. Um, so I've always been kind of partial to New Hampshire, but. 
I mean, objectively, yeah, not the best racing. Um, you know, same thing, like you said, with Phoenix Gateway, these like, you know, mile, you know, mile and a quarter type flat tracks that like are masquerading as short tracks, but aren't short tracks. But like some people call them short tracks and it's they're not. Like, it's yeah, they're not. I mean, it's like, come on. Gateway's not a short track. New Hampshire, out of those ones we just named, is probably the closest, but still isn't really. Um, like, it's just, they're weird tracks, and they definitely don't tend to put on great races because they end up being mostly one-groove racetracks. Um, and we know how this car struggles with one-groove-type racetracks. Um, and they also don't tend well, to wear tires. This racetrack much. wasn't even one groove, man. That's like, true. It really wasn't. Off the bottom, it's just bad. You can't pass. Well, that's the thing. So I honestly, like this race wasn't terrible because of the fact that they could move. But last year was a bit more bottom dominant. And that race wasn't good. Like, it was just That was not a good race. I didn't think at least. Obviously, you had the Ross Chastain, Denny Hamlin drama. And also a little bit Chase Elliott there too. To kind of like, you know, save it and give it something give people something to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think you can kind of rely on this kind of product consistently at, at gateway. Um, I know they put down some resin, I think this year. So maybe that, that probably helped the, the develop a couple of lanes. Oh, they did last year. Oh, well, yeah, no. I think so. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know then. I don't know if you can bank on this kind of racing. I mean, Obviously, you had the weird weather situation, and so we ended up, instead of on a hot, slick track, uh, we ended up on a pretty cool uh, track, which obviously affects how the the tires are going to lay down rubber um, and how the cars are going to handle. And so, you know, part of the entertainment factor um, for this race, at least, could have maybe been from just all the teams having their cars set up for a really hot track and then not getting that. You know, so can't bank on that to happen again next year. I don't know. It's these types of tracks are just, it's so hard to predict. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan. And while we're, before we get off the topic of the tra track itself, I want to make a quick caveat in this, this discussion. As far as racetracks go, we got these, there's one track that would like Richmond. Richmond would go into this category, but I respect Richmond for what it is. Because it's different, but it's in a good way. There's mm. another track that's, that really fits this category, Ben. Do you know which track I'm thinking of? Um, no, okay. I'll get it for you. It's Iowa Speedway. Iowa Speedway kind of would fall into this category, size and shape-wise. But you know what Iowa Speedway has that none of these other tracks do? It's got two things. Progressive banking? Progressive banking is answer number one. Top dominant progressive banking, even. Number two, I'm sure you can figure this one out too. I haven't seen Iowa in a long time. The surface, I think, is a somewhat abrasive, right? Boom, there you go. Wears the heck out of tires and is super rough. I mean, like, you think about the tracks that put on great racing um, consistently, right? You think about Homestead, right? What's Homestead? That's a multi-groove, super abrasive surface that wears out tires, that gives drivers options, right? You're not stuck running in a train, uh, you know, getting destroyed by dirty air. Yeah, no, that's, that's spot on, man. Progressive banking really needs to happen at basically every track at this point, unless we can get the Martinsville thing sorted out, then I'll make the exception for that one track. 
Um, let's get into the discussion of Gateway. <laughs> the race. Um, okay. Uh, I don't have any data. So we don't have a whole lot to go off of. So our discussion on Gateway is going to be pretty brief. But there's a couple storylines worth covering. Um, let's start with what I was hoping to be the best storyline going into this race that I was absolutely high about that I didn't get to tell you guys about because we didn't have a show. And that's that Corey LaJoy got to drive the nine car. And then that just didn't really go so hot. I don't know what the deal was there. I don't know if they just missed the setup or what happened. Even when Barry was in that car, guys, let's, let's, let's remember here. That car didn't run extra special. It didn't run this bad. It ran this mm-hmm. bad Barry's first couple weeks, actually, though. But, uh, yeah, just not a good look for Corey LaJoy. I, I do think the nerves were pretty bad for him. Just mm-hmm. kind of watching the way he handled that weekend, starting with his qualifying lap. I mean, eh, there, was, there was a lot that went wrong there. Yeah, and I, I want people to pump the brakes on the Corey LaJoy slander. I mean, I know some people just don't like Corey LaJoy and whatever, but really, if we're being, that's just, yeah. the same reason that people don't like Corey LaJoy is the same reason they don't like uh, Denny Hamlin. Right, and so like, if we're going to look at it objectively, nobody should have expected Corey LaJoy to go run like top 10, the top 15. Like, why would that have been a thing, right? Like, people well, have to understand. Really? I, I, so, I, that was wrong of me. Let's, let's understand this. I, I should not have expected that, but I definitely did. So well, Corey finished 21st, right? Hey, oh, oh, this is just too convenient. I have Josh Berry's results right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Where do you suppose Josh Berry finished in his first race in the nine car? That was Vegas, right? He was like 27th? 29th. 29th, damn. 10th at Phoenix and 18th at Atlanta. Those were his first three runs uh actually we keep scrolling down he had he had that race at richmond where they uh let him stay out and he finished second so good Mm. strategy move there bristol dirt was garbage but that doesn't really count 10th at dover that's solid but then 25th at kansas and 30th at arlington man i now i'm really thinking we ought to pump the brakes on the Corey lajoy slander because people were high as a kite on josh berry running well and i don't see what they're talking about like 30th and the, and 25th and 29th is not impressive. And that's the thing, right? So he had a couple 10th place finishes there. You know, Phoenix, he was legit fast. Um, yeah. I think, what was it? The other one was Kansas, you said, right? Uh, no, Dover. Or Dover. Dover, yeah. Dover, I mean, he was, he was solid there. Hendrick is filthy at Dover. We all know that. Um, right, so the thing with, with Corey here, so there's a couple different factors, right? One, Hendrick was not good at gateway last year as a whole right like i wouldn't like i was there i would know like we we didn't run that well at, at gateway uh last year they didn't run great this year for the most part right yeah byron was up there larson eventually found his way up there larson um, but absolutely toast at the end of the race guys i was working the legacy uh war room this weekend oh my we had larson covered with the 42 and the 43 for like the first hundred laps of the race. Yeah. And out of nowhere, sometime after we lost the data, the guys in the room looked up and were like, how the heck is the five car running second right now? It was, it was mm. really demoralizing to watch. Right. So all of this really to come back and say like, Corey LaJoy is still a good <laughs> driver. Like, let's not be ridiculous. 
right? He'd ha- he had a lot of good runs in the seven car, which we know is not of the same caliber as a Hendrick Motorsports car, right? Like let's let's not be let's not be ridiculous here and think that oh Corey LaJoy just proved he can't drive because he didn't finish you know top ten in the Hendrick car. No, like no, that's not a realistic expectation. It's his first race with a new team with limited prep time, right? Because he's not their main driver. Um, they don't know his tendencies. Uh, they don't know his driving style. They don't know what kind of setup suits what he likes to do. You know what he does with the car. There's well, based so- on a lot of the a lot of the tools Spire has, I'm sure they don't know the stuff that Hendrick would want to know when they put him in the car. Like, I'm sure they don't even have the information they would want anyway. You know? Yeah. Right. And so, and that's the thing. You know, Corey's been building with this uh, Spire team for was third or fourth year there at this point. It's been quite a while. I'm not really sure, but so- I think I I think this is maybe the third or fourth year, something like that. Right. Um, you know, Ryan Sparks been there the, the whole time, you know, he's a former RCR engineer. Um, like you're that time to build like a rapport with your crew chief, uh, and your engineers and the rest of your team for them to have a good understanding of who Corey is as a driver and how he likes his car set up and, you know, what car, what feel from the car will make him the most comfortable to get the most out of the car that stuff is extremely important. It's really not as simple as, oh, Corey just got plugged into the nine car, so he should be able to go, you know, run top 10 if he's that good a driver. No, that's just, it doesn't work that way. It's not even close. Um, It's just, it's not that simple, right? If you gave Corey, you know, the kind of stretch that Josh Berry got, give him like a six, seven race span, and he can put together some solid runs, then yeah, you know, the, you, you know, you're going to start to see that, right? Because the team eventually gets to a point where they can start to figure out a little bit of what Corey likes in his cars. Um, you know, you can build a little bit of a familiarity with the team, and you can get to start running a little bit more competitively, and you know, show a little bit more of what that car has. Right? We saw it with Josh Berry. I mean, he had some good runs for sure. Um, Josh Berry is really, really good. I'm, I'm definitely not questioning that. But he didn't. He wasn't running like how William Byron was, and how Kyle Larson was, and how Bowman was before he got hurt. Like he, he was not running with those guys. We all know that. So, Nia pumped the brakes on the the Corey LaJoy can't drive or cool Corey LaJoy. Um, you know, isn't as good as he says he is, and this and that. We need to cool off on that because that's just simply just not the case. Okay, from there, I, I want to mention one thing, and then we need to pivot in one of two directions because there's two things that need to be talked about off of this topic. The first is, does the... Uh, well, well, let's mention what I need to mention here first, and that's that Corey LaJoy. We haven't done a Corey LaJoy point standings update in a long time. We haven't done a point standings update in a long time anyway. Since we last talked, there was a, a Haas car that got penalized. So you know what time it is, Ben? It's time to play my favorite game. How many Haas cars is Corey LaJoy ahead of in the point stand? Oh, no. <laughs> so Corey well, LaJoy currently sits 21st in the point standings. He is only 39 points out of the playoffs. Um, Daniel Suarez is currently the last man in. How many Haas cars is Corey LaJoy ahead of in the point standings? All of them except Harvick now. 
Uh, yes, you are 100% correct. Corey LaJoy has more points than three out of four Stuart Haas racing cars. The only one he doesn't have yet is Kevin Harvick. And as much as I think that the memes would be glorious, I don't see him catching Harvick as Harvick is currently third in the standings. I love this game. It's my favorite. He's also outpointing both of the calling cars, who I thought were going to be much better this year. Harrison Burton, the de facto Penske car. He's ahead of a, uh, a, um, a Chevrolet uh, key partner team in the three car now because they don't have any points either. Um, yeah. Kicking, kicking a lot of teams that he should not be kicking. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, you know, we're going, it all, we all say this to kind of circle back again to this point. <laughs> Let's not get ridiculous <laughs> about one race. Right, you can't judge. You can't fairly or accurately judge a race car driver off of the results from one race. It's just not realistic. It's not reasonable. Like you know, you wouldn't judge any other athlete in any other sport off of a single game performance. So let's maybe not judge Corey LaJoy too harshly off of one race and just completely ignore his entire body of work for the whole season. Well, especially when we can look at the field and be like, well, we know the nine is faster than the seven. And Corey has had finishes of roughly 21st this season in the seven car. So he can talent his way to a 21st-ish place finish, wherever it was he finished this week, mm -hmm. in the seven car. It's not him. Like, I'm sure that he could have done things better. But let's understand that... Eh, probably a bit more there to the story let's move away from that though we can pivot in two directions the first being josh barry did not get the call to drive this car the second being uh the guy who replaced Corey lajoy ran really really well until nascar had some parts problems which way would you rather start then i'll take the other direction um actually i want you to start with barry because i, okay. I, I got a whole thing on this parts ramp Okay. Um, I think really, I think the Barry thing just comes down to he was in Portland. Um, I think that's kind of all it comes down to. No, 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 no. I disagree because AJ Allmendinger I had a feeling ran both did. races last year. Mm. Oh, it, that's it true. It can be done. He ran it both. Can. It can be done. I think this confirms Barry to the Haas ride. Yeah, it, I mean, it could be, right? Um you're definitely not the first person I heard mention that, uh, that theory. Um, yeah, it's, he could, I mean, you're right. It could have been done, right? I mean, AJ did it last year. It could have been done. Um, I Why think would they stick Corey in the nine car for any other reason than they really didn't want to put Josh Berry in it and PR stuff. Like, well, I think there's no reason probably, to stick Corey in the nine car. There's no solid reason. I would think it would probably be because they would rather have a driver who's going to be there for practice and qualifying so they don't have to automatically start in the rear granted i mean you know Corey didn't qualify super well but heck I mean, they he could have had most of our practice the car and put barry in it we know that teams don't like to stick other teams drivers in their cars because they don't want they don't like sharing information yeah i mean i don't know Maybe I'm reading in too far. Maybe I'm reading in too far, but I think this is I think this is crucial. I don't know. Personally, I think the Barry thing was just he was in Portland. They wanted someone who was gonna be there all weekend. 
Um, I think part of it is, you know, we all know the whole story about how Corey LaJoy wrote Rick Hendrick that letter to try to get the, you know, what was then the 48 car. Um, so I think he at least made an impression on Rick Hendrick. And I think they just looked at this as an opportunity to kind of, you know, quote unquote, give him a shot. Um, which ironically kind of did more harm than good because people had unrealistic expectations. Um, but that's that's how I kind of read it. I didn't really read it as like a, they're trying to punish Josh Berry or, or they don't want to put Josh Berry in the car because he might be going to the four car. I didn't read it like that. Oh, I, I don't think, think it's Josh might, Perry, I think he's already signed the contract. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I think he's still going there. Like that is, that's a thing he's doing. I think um, it's definitely. Yeah. Which like that's really interesting. I ha- I like I have to say that's an interesting. We choice. talked about this in our show that did not save, but uh, basically we both think that maybe that wasn't the right guy for that seat in that time. Uh, not that Josh Berry's not super talented, but if I'm if I'm remembering the summary of what we said correctly. Basically, we both agree that Barry's talented and can win races. We just think maybe Stuart Haas needs somebody with a little bit more Cup Series experience yeah. that's driven these cars before and can lead a Cup Series organization. Now, who the heck they were going to pull, I don't know. I'm partial to Ricky Stenhouse Jr., but there are other options. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that Yeah, that pretty much summed it up. Um it's, it's interesting. I'm glad to see Josh Berry get the opportunity. I mean, I love oh, seeing, absolutely. I love seeing like the, you know, the short track guys kind of get the chance to race on Sundays, like how it used to be. Um, but well, it was just, it's interesting. Like he, yeah. what, four years ago, he was, he wasn't progressing anywhere. He was going to be a, a late model guy for life. He's 32 years old. Who gets to be a cup series rookie in their thir- age 33 season? Uh, yeah, I mean that's it's that was definitely a thing in like the nineties. I mean, well, not um, anymore. We pulled no. Yeah, it's that's why. I'm, I mean, that's why I'm surprised. I'm thinking about guys like you know. I mean, even Cole Custer, right? I mean, Ugh. I know you know they they tried him already, but they still got him in their program. He's still like what twenty four, twenty five years old. I mean, he's gotten outrun by Riley Herbst a couple times. Yeah, but I mean, I think that car, he's typically had better pace, I think. He just... He's, had, he's moving up the standings. He's fourth now. Just won this weekend. I mean, that was kind of... But, you know, he won. We're not going to talk about that race. <laughs> we do not have nearly enough time in this show just to no. talk about that stupid Portland Xfinity race. I didn't even... I wasn't around to watch it, so... Uh, consider yourself lucky because I didn't I didn't get to watch it until it got goofy at the end and then I plugged it in to watch my man Parker Clearman just oof I mean he, he we can't start this but I respect no. him I really do like I, I really yeah. <laughs> you, you gotta go for it I understand he hasn't been in a position to do this man that was a bad that was really mm. bad let's get away from that let's get on to the parts um, four guys blue brake rotors uh, right front brake rotors going into turn one uh, this week, not just like lost brakes either, like the rotor just up and exploded. Yep. Um, one of them was the seven car of Carson Hosovar, who was having a fantastic run. I still think Hosovar needs to work on his racecraft a little bit, but I think we can all agree that that kid is immensely talented. He's mm-hmm. going places. Um, 
really good look for him this weekend. Amazing. Absolutely. An absolute shame that that brake rotor exploded because he could have been on for a top 15. That car was mm-hmm. fast and he knew what he was doing. The other cars that blew brake rotors were the 23, the 45, and the 42. I can tell you guys that uh, I don't think that we have anything in common on that 42 car with the 2311 cars. I, I don't think we're sharing uh, any anything special there. So this is not a this is not a manufacturer thing. Clearly, this is not a team thing. Clearly, this is a parts thing. It is just unacceptable that NASCAR is going to allow us to have brakes that just explode. Uh, like, admittedly, I haven't been able to see the data as far as what the heats were, but I just I sure. Exploding brakes is not a not a good scenario. I understand like the situation where your pedal kind of goes to the floor, they start to get soft, and then they go. That's not really what was happening here. They just all of a sudden up and blew up. So I, I don't know. It's a that's a whole mess. Yeah, I mean, Clint talked about it. He did actually a pretty good job with this on the broadcast, kind of explaining um, what was happening there. But just for anyone who didn't hear that, um, basically you're having a ton of heat cycles uh on these brake rotors because you're going from really hard brake input entering the corner and building up a ton of heat to really cooling off the brakes a lot going down the straightaway um and so those heat cycles can kind of cause some brittleness in the rotors which kind of means they're more likely to fracture um you know kind of like how glass is really brittle right you drop glass yeah. shatters yeah, step in there Clint made a great point comparing it to glass. See, but here's the problem. The analogy continues of that you run into problems with glass, with heating it and cooling it, whatever, and then it breaks, Mm -hmm. which is why they made fiberglass. (laughs) We're perfectly capable of using different metals to just build something better. (laughs) We're NASCAR. Like, we're the biggest American motorsport. We're arguably the largest or second largest in the world, we can build a set of brakes that function. Like, I don't know. Yeah, right. And so it's like, they talked about, you know, carbon brakes. It'd be stupid expensive. It's not really worth doing in in NASCAR, I don't think. Save it for F1. Um, But there's still no reason. And this is the problem, again, with a spec car is that it's one thing if the teams are building their stuff and, the, and then it breaks, right? You know, if, if these brake failures were happening, but the teams were still able to manufacture all their own stuff, it's a non-issue because then you're looking at the, you know, the engineers on that team and you're like, figure it out. Like, that's a mistake on your guys' end, right? You know, obviously, if you're as a team are having parts failures, that's a product of, you know, a poor design really made bad material choice um you know inadequate whatever the geometry is you know maybe you're getting stress concentrations because of your geometry whatever right um it's not the case though that's like the teams have no say in how these parts are designed and that's the problem is when you start having parts failures you're you're adding a variable that the teams literally have almost zero control over the only thing the teams could have possibly changed 
to maybe help this situation would have been to use um, maybe turn off. I don't know how many teams would were actually running their brake fans, right? So maybe if teams are running their brake fans, they could have turned them off and just kind of let the natural um, you know flow of the air cool the brakes, you know, the, as it kind of comes in through the NACA ducts uh, and like the the brake ducts on the front end. You could say that, but then what happens when you have, you're still building a ton of heat on entry and now all of a sudden your brake temperatures are way the hell up, right? It's just there. You can't blame the teams for it is basically what I'm getting at. And this is kind of the box NASCAR put themselves in going with the spec car. And, you know, allegedly the team owners, some of the smaller team owners wanted it and were really pushing for it. So I get it, you know, um, try to level the playing field a little bit at least, but <laughs> It's just, I don't know. It's tough. You know, you feel bad for some of the teams that were, you know, victims of this because there really wasn't anything they could have done to prevent it. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I want to take just a quick moment here to defend NASCAR a little bit because, Ben, I'm going to let you attest to this here. You don't have to talk about Hendrick Motorsports, but you and I both know very well that we've, we've got plenty of friends in the industry. At those friends teams, obviously Hendrick follows all the rules. But do, the, do the, your friends team, they don't follow the rules. Like, I understand the next gen close things up, but that, just fill me in here. Yeah, no, none of the teams are following the rules. I mean, okay, that's... great. Glad we're on the same page here. The teams don't follow the rules. Okay. So, is it acceptable to think that when the teams don't follow the rules, the parts are going to break? Yes, obviously, of course. And we understand that. But, that doesn't really excuse them from having brakes explode, especially when you can look around and realize it's obviously not a single team having an issue. Like, when you watch all the Gibbs cars power steering go out at Bristol, I think it was last year, then you can notice something suspicious and maybe not blame the parts. But this is one of those instances where it's kind of hard, hard to point to the teams. Yeah, I mean, and, and let's also, like, just to touch on that, too, like, Nobody would cheat up brakes. Like, you just wouldn't do that. That would be dumb because the performance gain would be almost invisible. So nobody would ever cheat up brakes. That, that, would, that would be dumb to begin with. Um, and, like, if they're going to cheat something up, it's going to be aero-related nowadays. Um, but, yeah, even that. No, that's not, like, that's not an argument to me. Like, you can't be like, oh, well, if the teams are cheating, then, you know, maybe... Uh, that's why the parts are failing. No, it's not why the parts are failing. The parts are failing. Some, I think in some cases it, it could be a contributing factor, but definitely not this one. That's for sure. I think really the only issues with this car that were mostly, or that were almost entirely related to the teams was when we were blowing left rear tires. That was probably the only thing that was definitely like for sure majority on the teams. That's what they true. were doing. The teams blame Goodyear for that, and now we're kind of feeling the pain from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Goodyear had to build bricks for tires to try to prevent that. We'll get um, it back. We're going to yeah. come back stronger, Goodyear. I trust you guys. Not really, but I'm hopeful. <laughs> I, think, I know they can do it. I just don't know if they will. Is the mm. thing. All no, right, let's yeah. get away from that. Let's get away yeah. from that. We've got to stop somewhere. Um, what else we got to talk about from this race? Kyle Busch gets his third win of the year. Um, that kind of came out of 
nowhere, just like Blaney's Coke 600 that we're not really going to mm. talk about, unfortunately. But congrats to Ryan Blaney for now being atop the playoff standings. That's cool. Um, and breaking that winless streak. Uh, but Kyle Busch, third win on the year, comes at a, a shorter, shorter track. It's not a short track. We've already preface that but mm. track with some similarity to phoenix kyle bush early early championship favorite maybe maybe not what are we thinking i don't know i mean i haven't seen race winning speed from that team really other than this weekend and at auto club uh that i can remember off the top of my head at least uh they haven't been particularly fast throughout the year um which was a little surprising because i guess maybe we were both a little guilty of you know jumping on the kyle bush bandwagon too early hold on, after hold on. wait no no no. time out didn't we both only call two wins for him yeah but after auto club i think we were kind of like ooh, like oh yeah auto club i think we might have boosted it to like five that's what i mean we got a, yeah we got a couple to go yet we could still get there though. yeah i mean well realistically i mean five is definitely not out of the question um especially you know you touched on this i remember previewing coda about how good of a road course racer Kyle Busch has been, being with a team that found a lot of speed on road courses last year. Granted, that was with Tyler Reddick, and you know, obviously, a lot of that has to do with the driver. But still, right, still had a good car. Um, still, they're still building good cars for those road course races. You know, we're coming up to Sonoma. Uh, we got the street course. Um, we got Watkins Glen. You know, so. Kyle Bush could I could see him picking up a win on a road course, um, and then one more after that. Like it, five wins is definitely not out of the question. Absolutely, it could happen for sure. I w- I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, I'm also pumping the brakes on the the Kyle Bush championship favorite thing. I still got my eggs in the Denny Hamlin basket because that's mm-hmm. who I picked at the start of the season, and I refuse to change my pick despite how enticing William Byron looks a lot of weeks. Yeah. Which I know you didn't call him as your championship favorite, but wow, wow, that pick looks really smart for the Byron Final Four at the start of the year that I really hated on you for. Mm. But that was that was smooth. Um, what else is relevant from this race? Anything? Oh, let's see. Uh, no, we there covered was that the Cindric, uh Austin Dillon. Oh, pick. right. Yeah. Okay. This. <laughs> I blame the angry Chase Elliott fans. That's the only reason that wreck is drama right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And because and Austin Dillon and Richard Childress just came out and were like, he hooked them. That was intentional. Suspend them. Just like Chase Elliott. Suspend them. Come on. Yeah, that, like, that's not true. I might post the SMT later. I haven't decided yet. But if I if I get permission to, I'll post the SMT data from this. But... It's very clear that, uh, did Cindric come down? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He came down because he's got Stenhouse on his outside. He's coming to the corner. It's nothing egregious. He's just preparing for the corner. Does Austin Dillon come up? 100%. Austin Dillon comes up significantly more than Austin Cindric comes down, but they're both just doing so to prepare for the next corner. Nobody's, I think Austin Dillon was actually trying to cover Cindric to maybe try and like pinch him out. like, but I don't know. You you've seen it, so you tell me what'd you pick up from that. That's how I interpret. Yeah, no, I think uh Clint called it right, actually. Who's two for two on me praising Clint Boyer? Weird. Um, what is that? I know won't see that again. Um 
but yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a racing deal. Like, this, this is what it was. Like you said, um, Austin's three wide middle. Um, people, I know people are going to try to call us out on this because if you look at like the, the replay, um, there's clearly a bigger gap between Cindric and the 47 than Cindric and the three. But you guys got to understand when you're in the car, you really cannot tell the size of those gaps next to you anywhere near as well as you think you can. Right. So very, very possible, very, very likely even that Cindric, yes, he did shade left a little bit. Denny Hamlin was talking about it in his podcast today and he was pulling up his SMT data. Yeah. Cindric shades left for sure. Um, very, not significantly though, right? Like it's not like, it, it wasn't like with Chase where you have a significant spike in the SMT graph with the, the steering input, right? That shows a abrupt turn to the left. It's not what you really saw with Cinder. It wasn't a massive, like huge, you know, sudden wheel input to the left. Like, he moved to the left for sure. But like you said, Austin Cindric definitely came right more than, I mean, sorry, Austin Dillon definitely came to the right more than Cindric came to the left. That's what caused them to get together. It's possible maybe Austin Dillon wasn't, didn't realize they were three wide. Um, or if he did, maybe he thought Cindric was shading more towards the 47. Who knows? Well, I'll, right? I'll cover for the space between the two and the 47 also. Uh, if you're Cindric, you got to stay on Austin Dillon's quarter panel. You got to make sure you get him low enough as you can to pinch off his entry. Yep. At all. So, like, he's not trying to wreck him there. He's just trying to position himself the strategically best way he can coming into this corner. Like, yeah. And he's also, you also want to get lower so that that 47 can't pinch you into the corner already. But mm-hmm. that's, that's my take on it. I, I think it's just a racing deal gone wrong, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Glad we're in agreement there. Do we have anything else we need to talk about from this? Uh, this gateway race um maybe just i want to i guess maybe touch a little bit more on ryan blaney um it's now two races in a row he's looked really fast um two races in a row that ford has started to look competent again um which it was really big last week obviously with it being on a uh, mile and a half where they've been notoriously terrible um but yeah so i mean maybe ford starting to turn a corner a little bit um Maybe Ryan Blaney uh, is starting to turn a little bit of a corner with Penske. Um, not saying he's going to be a championship favorite, but you know they got some good speed there. So um, definitely. Well, just a couple uh, weeks ago, you and I both said that Brad Keselowski was the best Ford, objectively. Are we switching that to Ryan Blaney now, or are we keeping keeping the flag with Keselowski? Um. Well, I think the best Ford's probably been Kevin Harvick. I think we uh, said yeah. RFK was the best Ford team, though. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. That is that is what we said. And I'm not going to change that. Team. Yeah, I was going to say, I would probably stay with that, with RFK being the best Ford team. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think as far as the best Ford you know, car right now, best Ford driver, um, I, it, it's getting closer between Harvick and Blaney. Obviously, Blaney's leading standings now but i think harvick's been consistently better over the course so, of the year just a little if, if we want to talk about speed date alone mind you i don't have the charlotte stuff in here yet guys mm. forgive me it's been a busy it's been a week but uh harvick still sits second on non-drafting ovals blaney finds himself down in 11th right behind kozlowski who's 10th so right. i mean that, that's a fair order i'd say 
Yeah, I think so. I'd and bump then, Blaney ahead of Kozlowski, though. What was that? I, I might bump Blaney ahead of Kozlowski individually, yeah. but I keep RFK up as an organization. Yeah, I'd agree with that, especially after the last uh, two races. I think like once those get factored in, like you, Blaney will probably move up the rankings a little bit, but I don't For think sure. he's not going to pass Harvick. I don't oh, think. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Blaney's median lap rank is 13.88. Harvick's is a 5.5. Five. Yeah, so... Yeah, it would take it would take some dreadful cars from Kevin Harvick, which the way that Chase Briscoe's running 3D printed parts and uh, still running a lap down in stage one at Charlotte, you know, if they give Harvick whatever they gave Briscoe, that could happen. I oh, don't actually, know how that happened. I want to actually, what? I want to briefly touch on that, uh, just for Please just do. one part of it. Um, what do you think? Do you think? Um, it was intentional, or do you think somebody actually just screwed up? What kind of question is that? <laughs> yes, it was intentional. Why would you have a counterfeit part laying around the shop with no intention to run it on the car? Well, that is so the because, most garbage excuse I've ever heard. No, so the the only reason I say it is because, and again, I'm quoting Denny Hamlin a little bit, but... I will I haven't say, listened to him yet this week. I didn't even know that his show was already out. It, yeah, it is. Oh, this I will was say, weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. I will say I had this thought also um, before Denny said it, right? But so, like, these teams, obviously, you know, that you have pit cars, you have show cars. Like, you have, a, you have some cars that you aren't ever really intending to race, right? Um, definitely more so with, like, the previous generations of cars, but a little bit with these cars. Um, but with these cars, since parts are really expensive and not overly, you know, readily available, um, a lot of teams, like for the a lot of the big teams for their show cars or whatever, uh, do have like just 3D printed or you know counterfeit, so to speak, uh, parts that they use to kind of build these show cars, um, or even sometimes like the pit car they use to practice with the pit crew just because it's way cheaper than building an actual next gen from scratch, right? Um, so it is possible, right? That you could have, I mean, it, it, it'd be laughable. Uh, There's no way argument right now. But, no, but it, I'm, I'm serious. It's, it is possible that like, if you're tearing down one of the show cars and you're, cause I've seen the way teams do tear down, right? And that how you kind of, you know, where you put the parts and all that. It is definitely, I could see it happening if you're a little disorganized on a given day for some reason. I could 100% see it happening because it's just one, it was just one component, right? Um, I could 100% see it where you, someone grabs the wrong component as they're putting together the underwing on one of these cars and they grab the wrong engine pan and um, okay, so, then, you no. end up with a counterfeit part. It's possible. No, I'm, no. okay. Is it possible? Yes. But let's just understand that this part, um, if I remember right, it was like a, a brake duct or something, right? No, no. It was, um, it was the engine pan on, that's part of the underwing. Oh. Hmm. Well, I don't know what I'm talking about, clearly. Um, I wonder what part I heard about. Huh. Because I heard something about a, a counterfeit part that had slightly smaller holes in it than the real one. I think the, uh, I'm trying to, maybe like, 
the holes for like where you kind of bolt in like the low because they have like these little you know like allen bolts with like a flat head on them that you bolt in to kind of connect it to the bottom of the car maybe but i mean that wouldn't really that wouldn't make any sense yeah that wouldn't really be a much of a performance advantage if at all like you could argue that if like the head of that bolt that is usually kind of hidden in the underwing anyway so the air is not really hitting it a ton but you could argue that if that hole is smaller and that bolt head is a little smaller that's probably a little bit less skin friction on the bottom of the, the underwing and you probably get a in the tiniest degree less turbulent flow from that but if that's what they were going for and like if, if, if this is intentional and that's what that's the advantage they're going for uh and they make a whole counterfeit part for that 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 would be even more incompetent than accidentally putting a counterfeit part on the car all right so yeah that explanation is not the explanation 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 wow english is hard <laughs> um regardless that was intentional i'm not buying that that was an accident and if no, any of you people are crazy enough <laughs> to think that ben is on to anything and that that could possibly have been an accident first of all you've lost your mind and don't understand how the nascar cup series works <laughs> second of all retweet the show and explain why ben's right and try and convince me because i'm not buying this like there's no way <laughs> No, I mean, I'll admit, they probably, like, it is, like, a 98% to 2% in terms of, like, they probably did it on purpose. It's right? 100%. It was not. I'm just, I'm just no saying, there is, a, there is a way that this could conceivably happen. I'm not saying that's definitely what Ben's it was. I think Ben's only explaining this so that when HMS inevitably has the same problem, he hasn't ratted <laughs> out the way that they're planning on covering. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's the story I'm going with. Um, it's probably not the real one, but I'm going to not give you a chance to respond, and we're going to move on as if that's the truth. <laughs> what else do we need to discuss this week before we talk about Circuit of the Americas? Um, I guess Ricky Stenhouse, another really, really good run before he got caught up in that incident. Yeah, that was um, unfortunate. An innocent bystander. And I think that that's his first DNF of the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man has completely turned his driving style uh, around a 180. And those cars have pace. They've had money for years. They've had all the tools. Um, it's something that surprises people. We've preached it over and over that that team has good equipment. They have the stuff. They just haven't executed for some reason. Um, I what are what are your thoughts on on why that could be? Yeah, actually, so yeah, in regard to the forty seven team, I just kind of want to pose something for everybody listening. Um, so there's this whole concept, and um, Grant mentioned it earlier. The the phrase "key partners," right? Um, this is just basically it's a thing. I'm sure some of you are aware of it, but just for anyone who isn't, um, the manufacturers have their like key partners, quote unquote, that share a ton of information together. Like with GM, it's Hendrick Trackhouse and RCR that we know for sure, right? Let's let's um, let's take a quick pause right after that. It's Hendrick Trackhouse and RCR. Legacy Motor Club is not ma- mentioned, guys, and I can tell you from personal experience watching them operate on a daily basis, we're missing a lot of stuff. Being a key partner is an exponentially massive advantage. Like 
if you're no, going to yeah. be a championship contender, you have to be a key partner. It is not up for discussion. Like, absolutely huge. huge. Yeah, no, the amount of information sharing um, between like Hendrick, RCR, and Trackhouse is massive. Like, we used the reports, the post race reports we used to get um, from GM that kind of had it just a massive amount of information about each car from each of the key partners, like some setup information some damper plots for each of the cars. Like you got a pretty, like a really good idea, like some arrow maps too. You got a really good idea of what the cars at the other teams were running on that given race. Right. Like though, like with the key partner stuff, like those organizations are working close together, like Hendrick Motorsports and RCR probably with the key partner thing, share more information or, or a comparable amount of information that like back maybe 10, 15 years ago, like the four cars just at HMS would have shared with each other, right? Like back then they were not cooperating with each other anywhere near to the level that the, the, eight, the four HMS cars do now. And it's probably pretty comparable to the level that Hendrick Motorsports and RCR cooperate with each other, right? So it's like, it's a massive, massive advantage. There's so many simulation tools that you get access to as a key partner, get more wind tunnel time as a key partner. Um, it's, it's a huge, it's just absolutely a massive advantage. Right? Wheel force data. Wheel force, yep, from the, from the wheel force car, which is just the, the each, each manufacturer has like a test car called the wheel force car that when they do manufacturer tests, there's a ridiculous amount of sensors on these wheel force cars. Uh, like F1, like F1 levels. Like we, NASCAR has got that technology too. Like we got F1 levels of sensor data coming off of these wheel force cars. So when they go to manufacturer tests, the key partners get this data about, and you get so much information about how the car is running, right? And so we're setting this all up, right? Explaining this whole key partners thing uh, to suggest that JTG may or may not be a key partner with GM now. I'm not 100% sure. I know last year while I was at Hendrick, there were some talks about JTG potentially becoming a key partner next year, but I'm not sure uh, if that actually happened or not. Um, but, I mean, you look at the the way they're running this year, consistently have like top 10, top 15 speed, week in, week out. Um, you know, it, it kind of makes you wonder because, you know, just having the money from winning the Daytona 500 isn't necessarily enough um, because like, like a, all those tools, we just well, and money was never the problem there. Yeah. 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 That, that's a very good point actually. Cause um, you know, JTG's cars have been among the most well-funded in the series, just in terms of sponsorship dollars. So it, that's true to say it was never really just an issue of not having enough money. Right. Um, it's this whole, you know, this key partners deal um, where if you just don't have access to the sim tools, especially now when you have so little time for practice, uh, if you don't have access to the simulation stuff that like the Hendrick Motorsports, the Joe Gibbs racing, you know, the Stuart Haas racing, the Richard Childers racing, like those big teams, if you don't have access to that kind of sim technology, you just really, you're never going to be as competitive as some of those teams on a week in week out basis. Right. And so, like I said, we're setting all this up just to say that might be an explanation as to why JTG is running so much better this year. 
Well, the timeline lines up beautifully. Like when you first suggested this to me, I, I kind of, I, I was kind of upset with myself that I never saw it myself because it makes so much sense of that. They've been well-funded forever, but they couldn't quite take that next step. And now seemingly out of nowhere this year, they have. And why no one's talking about this, I'm not sure. I would assume because it's because the key partners thing is incredibly new. And really, the media doesn't talk about it a whole lot. They mention it in passing every so often. I don't know if people don't know about this, and it is a thing. Maybe we've read too far into this. Maybe they're somewhere in between being a key partner and what the rest of the Chevrolet teams are. I'm not really sure, but something has changed there, and this definitely could be what it is. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, obviously, and I I don't want to say any of this to, you know, I don't want anyone to think we're trying to take away from what JTG is doing and making it sound like they're only doing it because, you know, they're getting more support. That's not at all what we're trying to say. It's just the reality of the sport is that if you don't have some of these tools, it's nearly impossible to be that competitive. And so it's more trying to get at the fact that now that they're finally getting, if, if this is the case, right, assuming this is the case, and now that they're finally getting access to some of the same technology uh, that the big teams have, it's showing you know the ability of the people, everybody on that JTG team, from you know mechanics to engineers, crew chiefs, car chiefs, and the drivers, right, or driver. Um, you know, it's it, it's just showing that they're capable. Like th- all those people are capable of putting together good race cars. Um, you know executing during the race uh, and then Ricky of course driving a good race it's showing that they're capable of running with some of these big teams when they're on a more level playing field and if this does so happen to be the case I may have had the hottest take of all hot takes this year when I said that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. will retire a Hall of Famer because if that man is driving what is now a key partner team and that's the only car on the team. He is their sole focus. They're fully funded. They give him another five, six years of this business. Find him another seven, eight, ten cup wins. I don't know, man. It could still happen. I'll say right now, if, if he swings like you ten more wins, right? Because what, he has three right now? He's got three. He would right, retire so he, with 13, a Daytona 500, and two Xfinity titles. That's a case. I mean, that is a case for the Hall <laughs> of Fame. Right? It's not a sure thing, right? I don't, I don't know. It's not first ballot, right? But it's a reasonable argument for the Hall of Fame. Two NASCAR titles, double-digit wins in the Cup Series during really what's probably the toughest era of the Cup what Series. What if it was only win. 10 wins? Would you still consider it if it was only 10 wins? I'd still consider it. I mean, because I think it, I think that the road to ten wins for Ricky Stenhouse, if this is a partner team, is very real. Because yeah, no. he's only got to get seven more. He's probably going to be in the prime of his cup career. Cup career for another what seven, six, five, six, seven years, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, seven wins could happen. I mean, any, seemingly anybody can pop off a double-digit win season in a good enough car or not a double digit a a two win season and Mm. he would only need one of those it it could happen it could it could happen 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely could. And again, I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I'm not saying it's definitely no, going to happen. No, not at all. This but is it, it could. Mostly, this is like 98% speculation here. And just for people to kind of get an idea of, or uh, get a decent comparison of um, what, you know, if Ricky Stenhouse gets two 10 career wins, right, um, who that would kind of size up to, That's that would kind of size up to Clint Boyer, would it not? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many, certainly Boyer won more than 10 races, right? I think he won 11. No, he well, won 10. It, wow. Really? No way. Yeah, okay. So well, Boyer's not a hall of famer. Well, he's got the Xfinity title. So he's another guy that I would bet you is kind of on that edge, right? He's like only not got one. He's only got one. Yeah, he only has one, but he also has a runner-up in the Cup Series point standings in 2012. Yeah, I, I mean, that's fair, but... He's, uh, he made the chase how many times? Um, at least five, maybe? Well, so, I mean, he was fairly regularly a, you know, quote-unquote championship contender in the Cup Series during, like, the the middle stretch of his career. Sterling Marlins also got 10 wins. Tim Richmond at 13. That's an interesting crowd right there. Ernie Irvin with 15. Mm. Oof. That's a tough, that's a tough sell, but this man has something that Clint Boyer doesn't. And that's an extra Xfinity title that, title that came back to back and a Daytona 500, which is exactly the most important thing. Exactly. Right. So if Clint Boyer is kind of, you know, maybe a step below what you would maybe need to get in the Hall of Fame with that Xfinity title and only 10 wins. If Ricky Senhouse, you know, say he gets to 10 wins, say he gets to 11 wins, whatever, and you have those two, t- two Xfinity titles plus a Daytona 500, <clears throat> that has to at least put you kind of in the conversation. Right. Okay. Now I want to I, I want to end this conversation because we got to talk about Sonoma, mm-hmm. but I want to I want to present this theory to you: if Ricky Stenhouse wins another Daytona 500 and gets to like eight wins, <clears throat> I think that's a lock. I think the two Daytona 500s is a big deal. I yeah I tend to agree because it's not it, it puts him into a I guess more of a elite class, so to speak, in terms of multiple Daytona 500 wins on top of multiple, uh, you know, national series championships. Um, yeah. And if, you know, and he gets a, obviously ends up with a couple more. I think uh, there's only what, two, three, three guys that have won multiple Xfinity titles, right? There's not many. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't name them off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, there's. I don't think there's many. One of them's Junior. Yep. But I, I don't remember who the other. I, I think there's. I think there's one. There's for sure would, one, maybe two others. I don't remember off the top of my head though. I would assume Sam Ard won more than yep, one, but I, one yeah, one he was eighty three, eighty four. Yep. So yeah, I mean that's a that's an interesting group right there. I <laughs> I don't know. 
it's it's an interesting thought, and I I am excited to see if somehow it happens someday. And I have just made the most out of the blue <laughs> hot take in the world that might just stick. <laughs> that would be that would be incredible if Ricky Stenhouse Jr. actually ends up being a Hall of Famer, <laughs> and you were probably the first person to say it out loud. Like that that would be wild for sure. I really. I genuinely, when I first said it, I was about 70% serious and 30% just hoping to become a meme. Now it's starting to get much more feasible of like, I was already serious, but now I, I really see the road to get there of like, no, 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 this isn't as much of a stretch as I thought it was initially. Mm-hmm. But we'll put that to bed because let's be honest, we're only going to talk about it every single chance I get. for the rest of time until it happens. And even then, I'm still going to bring it up. Mm. So uh, let's get into Sonoma. Ben, um, I guess I'll let you go first because uh, I don't know who I'm going to pick yet other than the boring, obvious one, and I'm assuming you're going to start with that. So, Ben, who's going to be fast this weekend at at Sonoma? Uh, You have to start with Tyler Reddick. I don't see how you can't. Yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, you want to just, well, I, I got it in front of me here. Uh, that car was a full percent faster than anybody in the fourth quarter of the race at Circuit of the Americas. A full, yeah, no, that's. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> one, one full percent per lap in the fourth yeah. quarter. I mean, and then you, you go look at best lap rank. Um He's number one there, just ahead of the 24, about just about 0.2% ahead of the 24 uh, in best lap rank there. And then you look at median lap rank, uh, and he just barely is faster in median lap rank than the 99 to be number one. But either way, I mean, that's all three speed categories we have that he's leading. Um, obviously, we know what he did last year. And we just for people listening we're not really looking at uh last year's sonoma data because just with how much the you know setups and stuff have changed um plus the lower downforce package um it's really not as applicable to look at last year's data uh, as it would be just to look at coda's data um that will definitely give you a better idea of who's going to be good on the road courses that's why we're focusing on coda um i think so, yeah. that timing wise the the roval race would be worth looking at if it mm-hmm. wasn't the roval the problem is, is it's like nothing else so yeah it's kind of irrelevant but yeah that that's a solid explanation on why we're going to focus on solely coda data for sonoma's weekend because we, we've got nothing else that seems like it would be helpful because these teams are very smart and learn very quickly um i'm going to pick somebody next that's pretty boring um reddick was also top of my list uh, I got to go with William Byron. Uh, Byron mm-hmm. was second on the board in best lap. He was third on the board in median lap. He was fourth on the board in fourth quarter median lap. All of these coming from Coda. And Byron historically is good on road courses in general. He's driving a Hendrick Motorsports car. He's had a fantastic season. And I, I brought it up to Ben before the show. We had a great conversation before this show started about a whole bunch of things, mostly to do with the key partner stuff and what the race teams are doing that, unfortunately, if we had on the air, I would probably be fired. So <laughs> we can't have that conversation. But I can I can tell you this part. 
which is that we were talking about Byron at Sonoma a few years back. He's driving this all yellow Hertz car. This sucker still confuses me to this day. Whoever designed that car, why? Because it's just all yellow with a black number. There's no design. <laughs> it's like they forgot to do something to it. But it was a strange car. And he put it on pole and he dominated the whole first stage. And then instead of trying to win the race and pit early, uh, Canals left him out there and they took the stage points and they scored more points than anybody that day, but they finished like 17th. And that still irks me to this day. And I hope that Byron gets a win back at Sonoma at some point. And why not this weekend? He could be faster than Reddick. Reddick's not going to win two road course races in a row. No way. Not going to happen. Can't be. Actually, I have to jump in on this because that specific thing is actually what I hate most about stage racing in general. Like, obviously, it's emphasized that when there were stages at the road courses, but oh my God, just stages anywhere. It bothers me so much because, you know, since you have the guaranteed cautions and it allows teams to strategize around the stage breaks, you get teams who will literally sacrifice potentially winning the race and will put themselves in a worse position uh, to win the race for stage points or for a stage win. Right. And it, ooh, it bothers me so much. Like it just like, and I don't really even have like the best, like most logical reason for that. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's still teams doing their best to maximize how many points they get. So like, I don't have a logical reason other than the fact that like, it bothers me that you would potentially sacrifice your well, It just finish. feels wrong that, the, that somebody has to choose to not win the race in order to score more points. Right. Like, uh, it basically like it opens up two kind of trains of thought, which is go for the win or play it safe and go for the points, right? Because obviously, if you go for the win, there's still a pretty good chance you're not going to get it. And then if you missed out on your chance to get stage points, you end up even if you finish like third or whatever, you don't end up with a great day because you didn't get as many stage points. That's specifically for the road course stuff. Um, but you know, it, it still kind of applies on the ovals. Um, or strategy is definitely tailored towards um, making sure you get stage points and definitely more than anything, the way that uh, people drive, you know, um, it's just, I don't know. I don't like, I guess, I don't know. Call me a weird, like traditionalist or whatever. Um, I just don't love the idea of potentially sacrificing your finish for stage points during like a caution at like the first third of the race. It's just weird. I don't, I don't love it. I would be super happy with it. Honestly, if they got rid of stages everywhere, I know that's not super popular because um, people have come to kind of like stages on the ovals, but I would totally be down to just get rid of stages everywhere. I would be super happy to go back to like, you know, how, you know, was before, um, 2017 it's just run the race however many laps and just have your comers and goers and watch it all play out we're not gonna have this discussion right now because then <laughs> we'll be here way way beyond the number that we're supposed to be here we didn't start this show until an hour and a half after we were supposed to start it <laughs> and we're gonna run this sucker over time if we're not careful anyway but i do have to comment on this and we will save this for an off-season discussion Mm. But gosh darn it, I, I really do like stage racing. I really do. I, I understand the road course caution thing. I, I can't stand that either, and I'm glad we got rid of it. It's a great compromise. But in an ideal world, 
we would make all the changes that I want to make to the next gen car and it would become the perfect beauty that it has the potential to be. And then we would shorten all the races except the crown jewels. And then we would just get rid of the stages because they would be pointless. Mm. But that's not going to happen. But if it did, then I would be pro getting rid of stages in the case that we shorten the races. Because I think shorter races would be a great thing for NASCAR. As much as, as, much as it kind of hurts me to say, I think it would be really good for everybody. Um, but that's a discussion for a later time. Because I feel like we're going to have quite the disagreement on everything to do with that race format. That'll be interesting. Y'all should tune in for that when we do it in the off-season. We have way too much stuff to talk about in the off-season. And after the off-season, there's no way either of us are going to get hired by any race team ever <laughs> again. There's no way. Um, okay, Ben, who's, who's the next guy that could win this, win this race in Sonoma? So the third person I have on my list uh, is probably another fairly obvious one. Uh, is Daniel Suarez, uh, second in median lap rank at Coda uh, earlier this year, uh, and then he what was he fourth in or yeah fourth in best lap rank. Uh, I think he had got dumped or something like that at the end of the race at Coda, um, so he didn't get a great finish out of it. Um, obviously, he won the race last year at Sonoma, and I know we just talked about how we're not going off of um, last year for for speed, and that's not what I'm doing. Um, more so just for driver ability at a track, right? Um, and also a little bit confidence, right? You come back to a track, you know, you've won at, especially you won the most recent race there. You're going to have a lot of confidence as a driver. And that's, that's a pretty big part of, of the performance and combine that with uh, a fast road course car that we know track has, has, uh, at least with the 99. I mean, we saw it at Coda. Um, you combine those two things. You got another guy who is going to be a threat for the win. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. I, the Daniel Suarez, that's a solid pick. Fast car, Circuit of the Americas, second fastest to Reddick and medium lap. That's a solid, makes sense guy to go with. Um, I got a particular underdog I really want to talk about now. Oh, I definitely, I think I know who you're talking about. Two two of them, actually, but we're going to save them for a minute. Uh, because AJ Allmendinger needs a shout. Yes. Uh, AJ was the fourth fastest car at Circuit of the Americas, despite, I, I don't feel like he was really a factor ever in that race. Yeah, they I had, there was, some, there was some pit road. No, I don't, I think he was for a little bit. They were on a weird strategy with Byron, I remember, uh, where they pitted at a different time. And then I think they got an untimely caution that really helped Reddick's strategy. Um, but, was not great for Byron and Almendingers. And then I think he got dumped in like the chaos. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Well, either way, he had the fourth fastest car for median lap rank, which is, I mean, pretty freaking good and worth noting. And we all know that AJ Almendinger is an incredible road course racer who should have won this race, won Circuit of the Americas. Well, we can use the word should have roughly. He had a 50 50 chance of winning the Sonoma race or winning the Kona race in 2021. And then stuff happened. Um, but he also had the sixth fastest car per best lap at, uh, Circuit of the Americas this year, which is worth noting. Um, so going to probably be a pretty solid car, mostly because he's the guy driving it. Always the threat on the road courses. I don't know if he's a threat to go up there and drive up and steal the win because I've kind of lost faith in colleague. I don't know if he'll have a car fast enough to just do it off of sheer willpower, mm. but 
he could find himself in the top five. Leaders get to messing it up, and all of a sudden he falls into a victory and puts himself in the playoffs, which I was so confident in at the start of the year, and it's now not going to happen, which is such a shame. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't think he was going to point his way in. Um, I really but I, <laughs> I, I did See, that's the thing. I didn't think you were crazy either um, at the time. Uh, yeah, but I was Probably also just very... did not pan out the way we thought they would this year. No, really Let's not. put it that way. Uh, Justin Haley, I mean, Justin Haley's had a couple of decent runs lately, but yeah, no, definitely I thought they were going to break out a little bit. I had um, high hopes for Justin Haley this year. I really thought a lot was going to happen. A lot was going to happen. We'll, we yeah. will talk about colleagues so much more this year. They they need a full episode on what has <laughs> happened there. Why why the underperforming? I don't know. They're not even underperforming. We just had too high of expectations. That's our fault. That's probably what it was. And who's the next guy on your list? Um. So I guess those those are really like my top three for the oh, win. Okay. I think. Yeah, I had kind of my top three uh, main win threats. I have one guy I, who I think I'm, could be... I got one that we're still missing. Oh, you do? Yeah. Who he just got? won. It's Kyle Busch. Ah, uh, of course. He ran well at Coda. He almost got the win. Second fastest car in the fourth quarter of that race this year. Seventh fastest car per median lap rate across the whole race. Uh, fifth bestest, best lap of the race. Uh he finished like second that in that race and was fast mm -hmm. and he's driving the car that was absolutely dominant on road courses a year ago. We know he's a great road racer. He's won at places in the past. He's run really well at places like Watkins Glen back in think back to the COT bit COT days. I, Kyle Busch has got to be a threat to win on all the road courses going forward the rest of the season until he proves otherwise why he shouldn't be in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good pick. I forgot about Kyle Busch. I'll be totally honest. Um, yeah, no, I agree with everything you said there. Definitely going to be a big threat for the win this week. For sure. And before we move on, I also want to mention Kyle Larson because it's just kind of a given that Larson's up there, but we didn't really talk about him because he's not popping off the charts at Coda. But obviously, Kyle Larson could win this race because he is Kyle Larson. Absolutely. He uh per median lap rank was absolutely nowhere, maybe. I'm not seeing 11th. 11th or 10th, sorry. 10th. Ah, yep, 10th. And for best lap, he was seventh. So not bad numbers, but I don't know. I just I don't know. For some reason he's not jumping out to me the way that I think that he should, but maybe, maybe. He'll, he he definitely could be there, but he's not in my top tier group of guys to win. But I'm really excited to talk about underdogs. Who, who's your oh, first? Because yeah. I feel like there's a really exciting list of guys that are legitimate people worth talking about this week. Uh, first one I got to go with has to be Todd Gilliland. Yes. Almost solely for the <laughs> fact that... We talking about Todd Gilliland again. Let's go. Yeah, almost solely for the fact that he was third best, uh, third in best lap rank at Coda. Um, when was he in median lap rank? Not incredible. Like 25th. Irrelevant. Doesn't matter. But I'm sticking with it. Best lap of the race in a front row car, and his name's not Michael McDowell. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm sticking with it. Plus, I mean, like it, you know, it, it's fair to wonder being if he was stuck, you know, kind of back there in the chaos for most of the Absolutely. race. It's yeah. hard to put together clean, fast laps and you know get a good median lap rank. 
Um, but when you see someone pop like that on the on the best lap chart, it's it says something, right? Regardless of what their median lap rank says, you have to kind of acknowledge that too, the best lap. Um, also, I mean, we've talked about it. Todd Gilliland has had a really, really solid season so far this year. Really big improvement from a year ago. Um, so I think, yeah, for sure, um, he's one of the underdogs to watch this week. Absolutely. Todd Gilliland has been one of the stories of the year that's not getting enough attention. He's getting mm-hmm. attention, don't get me wrong, but I don't think enough can be said about this guy. And because we brought up Todd Gilliland, we have to play my favorite game. Ben, it's not my, I take that back, it's my second favorite game. My favorite game is how many Stuart Hoffs cars is Corey LaJoy beating. But my second favorite game is how many key partner cars is Todd Gilliland beating. Ben, what is the answer? How many key partner cars are behind Todd Gilliland in the point standings currently? Um, so, yeah, if you count the SHR cars, that's of course. three. Yep. Um, let's see. You got, I mean, you do have Chase Elliott there, although we know what that's about. You better not be cheating right now. I am cheating. Gosh dang it, Ben. What have you done? This is supposed to be a game. You've ruined the game. Yes, there are three SHR cars. There's one Chase Elliott, and there's one Austin Dillon. All behind Todd Gilliland in the point standings. I understand that a few of those guys are back there for specific reasons, being Briscoe, Elliott, and uh, Austin Dillon. Oh, and Harrison Burton's also back there, too. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know about Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon was off to a genuinely bad start to the year. I don't know how much higher he would have been without the penalty. How big was the penalty? Uh, 70 points, maybe? Yeah, so, I mean... Oh, he'd only be two points ahead. I was going to say, he would be barely ahead. Let me, let me, let me fact check that. Uh, yeah, we've lost the show. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry if you're listening to this still. Uh, 60 points was the penalty. 60 points. Hey, so he's behind. So, yeah, he would be behind him anyway. Yep, count him for sure. That's like six or seven cars. That's great. Mm. Lovely. One of my favorite games. Gosh darn it, Ben. Play the game. <laughs> when I say game, I literally mean it's a game. Don't look at the point standings. Try I'll remember it. for next time. This is fun. Okay. Uh, un- keep going with the underdog. So you took Todd Gilliland. There's another Ford. Another Ford that uh, I think is worth talking about. And it's not the one that's jumping out. People are going to be screaming at this point if anybody's still listening that we haven't mentioned Todd Gilliland's teammate, and guess what? I'm not going to. Ooh. I'm going to mention Mr. Chris Busher. Mm. Chris Busher's car. My, I said I wasn't going to look at Sonoma last year, but I can't help but not. I, I can't help but remember that Chris Busher was faster in the fourth quarter than Daniel Suarez at Sonoma last year. He was the fastest car on the track in the fourth quarter of that race. Mm-hmm. And if we look at Circuit of the Americas. He wasn't bad. Sure, he was 18th for median lap rank. But we can attribute that to a lot of traffic. He was 12th in best lap rank. Again, not incredible. But we go over to fourth quarter median lap rank, and he's 7th. I know it's a bit of a stretch. I'm not going to argue with that. But I also think that RFK as a program has taken a pretty solid step forward on all tracks from the start of the season to now. 
since Coda. And so, albeit those are ovals, and this is a road course, fair enough, I think their program has elevated enough that high tide raises all ships across all track types. I think Chris Busher, situation falls right, get lucky on a strategy call, he could find himself in the right position. Heck, he could have the outright speed to win it. I don't expect it, but it could happen. Yeah, I like the Chris Busher pick. Um, like you said, was really, really fast last year. Um, he's a solid road course racer. Um, and obviously RFK. I want to story tell for a minute, everybody, because I got a hot take. I don't think Chase Elliott's that good. Chase Elliott's so, well, I, 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 he's so overrated. He's fine. Don't get me wrong. Chase is, (laughs) Chase is, Chase is a good driver, but gosh darn it. These Chase Elliott fans drive me up a wall because he's, he's just really not that special. He lost an Xfinity title to Chris Buescher. Which means one of two things. Either Chris Chris Busher is bloody incredible, or Chase Elliott's just not that good. And I think it's a mixture of both. I think both can be true. And uh, if we think back, Chase Elliott is considered this amazing road racer. Once upon a time, there was a raining race, I believe, at Road America or Mid-Ohio or something like that. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Mr. Road Course King himself did not pull through in that Xfinity car. Rather, it was the 60 car, Chris Buescher, that got the win. If my memory's not failing me. I can't really confirm or deny. It it might not have been raining, but I know that this did happen. So, listen, Buescher's a good road racer. He's won won on road courses in the Xfinity series before. He's incredibly talented. Chris Buescher's a better driver than Chase Elliott. Quote it move on that's not true it's not (laughs) it's not untrue though something i i very vividly actually remember uh this 2015 championship run by chris busher because i take credit for it um so he came to the go-kart track i was racing at at the time the year before in 2014 so him and dakota armstrong raced with us i beat him i just i have to throw that out there um oh so that means Ben's better than Chase Elliott, too. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, and so then we all got tickets to the, the nationwide race at New Hampshire that weekend. Uh, and so up to this point, you know, I, I've kind of been like curious about Chris Buescher because I remembered him from ARCA. Um, and so up to this point, though, hadn't had like a great season in the 60 car. Like it, it'd been all right, but wasn't very, wasn't great. Uh, and then I remember in this New Hampshire race, he ran pretty well all day finished fourth and from that point on he had a a lot of really good finishes the rest of that year in 2014 and then 2015 he goes on to win the championship so i take credit for it because he raced with us you're on to something ben amato is responsible for chris busher's incredible race craft this makes sense he learned it on the go-kart tracks in somewhere in the northeast i'm not really sure where is in Braintree, Massachusetts at F1 Boston. Now, wow. now closed, unfortunately. But wow. Lost Speedway. Yeah. Get there. This is where Chris Busher got better than Chase Elliott, and he learned it all from Ben Amato. Ben, nobody's listening anymore, but if they were, <laughs> if they were, what underdog pick would you tell them about? Um, I have to go with the generic underdog pick, which is, of course, Michael McDowell, because I can't bring myself to ignore him. Um, eighth in median lap rank at Coda, uh, 
I think fifth in the fourth quarter at Coda and where was he in best lap? Okay. Uh, you know what? 15th and best lap rank, but remember the, <laughs> the first two that I said, right. Um, and I mean, Michael McDowell's he's been a great road course racer. We all know that Michael McDowell is a really good road course racer. Um, it's almost, I mean, at this point, I don't even know if it can really count as an underdog pick anymore. I'm like literally it arguing does. with it's myself boring. right now. It's yeah. like when I pick Ricky Stenhouse as an underdog on every single Opal track. It's like, okay, we get it. It's enough. But yeah. But yeah uh, Michael McDowell, underdog. Yeah. I wish Michael McDowell was going to the SHR4 car. I think that would have been such a great fit. But somebody compared Michael McDowell to like a modern day Ricky Rudd. And I think that's incredibly interesting. That's going to be an off season topic because I don't see where you're going with this one. And I'm already over the time that I wanted to be off of this phone call. So, no. I'll say it. Somebody write it down. Ricky Rudd is Michael McDowell. Um, <laughs> don't change the wording on that. Just leave it like that. I got one more underdog pick. And I'll give you one guess who it is. And I'll warn you, it's not Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um, hmm. It's not, mm. it's not that difficult then. Could it? It's really oh, it's. That. Do you say it's not difficult? It's really not that difficult. It's, it's pretty obvious who it's going to be. It's oh. Corey LaJoy. Uh. It's Corey LaJoy because Corey LaJoy really got himself humbled this past week. Like, as much as, much as we defend him, there's oh, no way that man feels good about what happened this weekend. Like, he's got to be having a rough week. He's going to come into this race with a fire under his tail for sure. He's he's bound for a good run because I just, there's no way he's not heavily motivated after last weekend. And as hard as it is to pick a Spire car on a road course, that seven car was the sixth fastest car in the fourth quarter at Coda, which I'm not really sure how that's possible. Crazy things must have happened. At the end of that race, they did. There was a lot of wrecks, a lot of crazy things happened. But still, the numbers are what the numbers are. You can't, you can't change the numbers. And the numbers say that that car wasn't exactly slow. I, I got to go with Corey LaJoy. You never know. You just never know. The percentage chance is low, but it could happen. He, they, we could get a top 10 run out of the seven this week. Yeah, I like it. It is an underdog pick after all. So, you know, we're not expecting a guaranteed, um, you know, top five or win or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I do want to, I still want to get this show done, but I just (laughs) noticed something in this Coda data that has me baffled. Oh, would that be? Okay. I was on the wrong page. That Mm. would explain. Never mind. You might want to cut that 70, part. What? You might want to cut that part out of the episode. Yeah, we're gonna leave it in. Everything's getting left in at this point, Ben. Every every you mentioning that we cut things out right there is getting left in. I'm sorry. <laughs> Miss our anytime we say something wrong, we just get rid of it. And there's still things in here that are wrong that we have to correct ourselves on. Um, I was looking at the fourth quarter media lap page and I saw the 78 was 26, and I I saw that he was ahead of the 22 and the 10 and the 20 and the 9 and the 47. And I, I thought I was on the best lap page and I was about to go insane. 
But, oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, that was not the case. He was only he only had a better best lap than the fifty one, the fifty, the seventy seven, and uh, another bar that we're mm. not mentioned. Um, is that everything? Do we do we have anything else from this amazing show that we have put together for all of our wonderful listeners that are definitely still tuned in? Um, no, I I think we covered just about everything there. That's fantastic news. Guys, if you have anything that specifically that you want us to talk about, please just scream at us on Twitter. Tell us to talk about it. Then we'll, we'll try to remember in these discombobulated, confusing episodes. Um, I, how do I close this show? I don't remember what my conclusion was. I used to have this down to a science. Oh, here it is. If you uh, managed to find this show, Without following the Twitter, congratulations, you're really something special. That is remarkable. Go follow the Twitter, or subscribe to the podcast first, obviously. Also, because Ben Amato's smart, he also mentioned that you guys really need to go rate it and review it. Evidently, that's a thing. So go rate and review our podcast. Tell us about how, how great of a podcast it is, because obviously, one of the best NASCAR podcasts in the industry. And then go follow the Twitter, because... That's where, we po- where I post all of the data that we talk about on this podcast when I have the data, which is every week except for Gateway because St. Louis Internet, I don't know what happened. But uh, we should be back to a normal schedule uh, next week. Uh, we're going to move the podcast to Monday night releases, usually. Uh, this week, that's not going to happen because it is already later than I intended this recording ending. Um. As for auto racing analytics this week, you can expect me to hopefully post some restart data. Um, I'm having some website issues, so the website's not going to change until I get those fixed. And I don't know when that's going to be because I'm busy working this job for Legacy. But when I have the time, I will probably one of these weekends coming up. I'll get the website fixed. It's no big issues, just some minor things with updating stuff. But that'll get updated here quickly um and i'll post the restart data and the circuit of the americas data and maybe last year sonoma data uh, on the twitter for you guys to see um ben where can the people find you everybody can find me at benamato 24a on uh instagram and twitter um also youtube i made a vlog of our opening night race that went not great and you can check it out on my youtube also benamato 24a spoiler alert might have caught on fire after the race so check out youtube to find out for sure ben i have a very important question before we close the show was your weekend yes, better or worse than legacy motor club's weekend at charlotte Flat gateway both because neither of them were great well this past weekend actually um i had to miss the race because you know engine um but I was helping out uh, this guy, Mark Jennison, for the Act Tour race. For anyone who doesn't know what the Act Tour is, it's a Northeast late model touring series. Um, iconic. Um, so, yeah, they had us all. They were running at Seekonk, actually, my home track. And so they had us all up there. You know, I was helping out Mark. Um, you know, we were, had some sporadic misting. Um, all these people, you know, all these uh, drivers, a lot of them coming down from Canada. Um I should have said ACT stands for American Canadian Tour. So some of these dudes coming down from Canada, Vermont, Maine, all that for them to have to sit there for like four or five hours, you know, between intermittent practice sessions, you know, buying tires and all that, all for it to just get rained out. Um, 
And then the minute they said, we're postponing this, you know, makeup date will be August 19th, whatever. The minute they say that and people start packing up, sun comes out. Of course. No more rain. That but it's too works. late. Everybody's already leaving. So uh, That's super unfortunate, but that is not even the question I asked. I was talking about the, uh, the engine expiring, but, you know, that's okay. We'll put that one to bed. Uh, ben, I think, I think it's time for final thoughts. Ooh, final thoughts. Okay. Um, I got a couple. Um, I guess you stole one when you said rate and review the podcast. Um, but I'm going to build off of final that. thought. That's part of the, conclusion. that's it's, it's part of it. Right. So building off of that though, do it because maybe I will rip off Landon castle and start reading the reviews. Um, maybe so like or rate and review the podcast um final thought though for real um please follow along the cars tour if you're not already because one the racing's terrific um every week every single race um this past weekend uh, they were at langley and connor hall won um so there's a really really good you know proper full season championship battle between Connor Hall, uh, Carson Kloppel, who's driving for Dale Jr.'s team, and Brendan Butterbean Queen, who's driving for Lee Pulliam. Um, I believe Connor Hall drives for Chad Bryant. Not 100% sure. Um, but yeah, I know the Cars Tour is going to have a really, really good championship battle between those three uh, throughout the year. So if you haven't done it already, you should definitely check it out. Um, subscribe to Flow Racing to uh, watch all those races. If you don't want to subscribe to Flow, I'm sure you could find like a replay or something on YouTube, just or at least highlights. So just do yourself a favor and you know tune in, keep up with the championship battle because it's gonna be a good one. Yeah, and it, uh, that was what I was gonna ask you is where you can where you can catch the races because some of us like myself just can't cough up the cash to uh, subscribe to Flow Racing. And if that's you, mm. don't feel bad about it. Instead, just follow the YouTube and uh, pay attention to the highlights uh, to follow that tour and do the same for the World of Outlaws because mm-hmm. the World of Outlaws is also a great series. But that's not my final thought. Uh, my final thought is this. If Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is actually a key partner, first of all, we need to figure that out somehow. I don't know how we're going to figure that out, but we got to figure it out. The second thing with that is, if that's the case, obviously he's going to be better. We already touched on that, but we need to take note of this because this is going to give us a great window into exactly how much the key partner system is worth. Um, if it if if that forty seventeen is indeed now a partner and wasn't, because it's elevated that team in ways that are seemingly unachievable. It's it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and this would be a great, great way to, to showcase that if that ends up being the case. So hopefully we can figure that out. Uh, if you guys want to hear us talk more about in depth about the explanation of the key partner system, let us know. We'll try our best if we didn't do well enough in this episode. And if you have any other questions, shoot them our, our way on Twitter. Uh, and I think that'll do it for this episode. This has been episode 16 of Positions Net. See y'all later. <laughs>